This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. UFC 281 is ahead of us this week, and I've, I've brought it on the guy that can best get us prepped for that main event between Israel Adesanya and Michelle Pejera, both of which have their last names pronounced differently than when you were calling their fights uh, back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, no, you nailed it though. I don't think there's anybody in the world that knows these guys from a technical kickboxing standpoint like I do. Calling their fights, studying them, especially Pereira. Man, I've been calling all of his kickboxing fights basically, being on same cards with him. So uh, I think if anybody, I'm one of the most excited for this fight. So um, it's finally here. I didn't think it would ever come, but the fast title reign of Alex Pereira, as I'm going to call him, uh, has just been fantastic to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he debuted a year ago, right? Like at the last Madison Square Garden card, and now here we are. One year later, he's fighting for the title. But you know what? At age 35 or 36, whatever he is, time is not on his side. So it's good that he's getting in there right now while he's like still at the very end of his prime. Yeah, I think it's funny, though. A lot of people are questioning if it's early. Do you understand his record in kickboxing? Do you understand how many big-level fights he's been in? Do you know when he's fighting a weight class up against Artem Vahitov two times? Do you know how good Artem Vahitov is? Like, that man is ready for the biggest of biggest levels, the stages. Um, he's used to this attention. This is nothing new. He's fought in bigger arenas than the one he's going to be fighting at MSG. He's, he's been in front of more people fighting. So both of these guys, uh, I think the MMA community needs to really look at their kickboxing experience and see just how amazing it is. When I look at even me personally, like I was one of these North American fighters who didn't have a huge kickboxing record like these Europeans. These European guys, I called the kids fight this weekend in glory. He's 22 years old, had 144 fights. Like, that is what kickboxing is. So this is a, a big difference in North American MMA. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big number for 22 years old. I'm yeah. trying to do the math in my head, and I can't even do it. I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I couldn't even believe it. I mean, so this is the experience. Even newcomers to glory have five, ten times the amount of the champions uh, fights the champions have. So, I mean, we got to start respecting these kickboxing records a little bit more. All right, well, before we get to that main event, let's just do a quick recap. This past weekend, Amanda Lemos defeats uh, Marina Rodriguez in the main event uh, of their bout. Lemos looks like she's going to be able to beat a lot of these women in the strawweight division strictly because of her power. Like, I mean, there are not, just not that many fighters in that division, save for like a Jessica Andrade, Zhang Weili, who's, who might be the champion after this weekend, that have such big power in their hands that are going to be able to, to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with her. And I think that that's what gives her such a big advantage. And I underestimated her going into this, uh, this fight against Rodriguez. Um, I, it seemed like an obvious pick, honestly. Like, in hindsight, it seems like this is probably what should have happened because Lemos seems to have the touch of death. She has the most knockdowns per 15 minutes by a mile in the women's strawweight division. So kudos to her on that. But before, uh, or as we move on to UFC 281, before we do that, there was a bit of a controversy. We had uh, Shailen Nurdenbeka taking on... Derek Minner, and in the hours leading up to the fight, that line, average betting line, jumped from like minus 237 to minus 375. Like crazy, crazy action. And then, of course, we see what happens in the fight. Derek Minner clearly injured going into that fight. Like, I mean, throws a left kick, go, you know, jumps back in pain, throws the left kick again for some reason. But, I mean, you're fighting in the moment. I don't want to speculate on that. I mean, you're doing what your, your brain tells you to do in those moments. And just gets injured, turtles up, and gets gets pounded out in the first round. And apparently, this is now under investigation. A lot of money yep. came in on first round KO for Nurden Becca. Um, a lot of money coming in on the under. Like, just tons of action coming in on this fight. Because, I, I think it's pro probably fair to say, someone found out that he was hurt. And the word got out. Yeah, I mean... I just think it's just such convenient timing for this to happen, too, with the talk of this, with all of the now uh, the fighters cannot bet. But I still think it's a serious issue. I mean, this could have been a scenario with Dillashaw the other day with a shoulder issue, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of times. I'm surprised, actually, it hasn't happened more often. You got to think fighters go in injured all the time. I mean, when there's big injuries, guys need to make up some money. So, I mean, probably it's happening a lot more than we actually think. But to see the line change that much is just, it's crazy. I think now, I mean, all that, with the sport growing in popularity now, it's starting to get those types of things that we're seeing in FIFA, that we're seeing in other major sports. It's starting to kind of trickle down into MMA, it seems. But I think you hit the nail on the head here. 
when you said that some fighters just need money. And I think that's a problem. Like, the problem stems from a lack of a backup plan for these guys if they are hurt. Because they're going to go into fights injured because they need to get their show money. And yeah. if they were to show up and say, hey, like, I'm, I'm badly injured. I can't take this fight. It's like, okay, bye. Go home. Yeah. You know, go recover and we'll see you in a couple months. Yeah. Right. Which probably needs surgery, which could be a year off and you're getting zero dollars. There's right. no money. There's no money. And they'll cover your surgery. But at the same time, like you can understand why a fighter would go into this. And the other thing is the MMA world and the kickboxing, like combat sports worlds in general are very small. People find things out. Things slip through the cracks. Like if there's somebody who's training over at Glory Kickboxing and Fitness or whatever it's called, Glory Combat and Fitness, James Krause's gym out in Kansas. And somebody who's like a lower-level fighter, amateur fighter, finds out this information, why wouldn't they call someone up and say, hey, I've got some information for you. Like, if you want to make a little bit of money, the chances of Derek Minner winning this fight are very low. He's coming in with a, whatever, a torn, a blown-out knee. Like, that's all it takes is one phone call. And then someone can get on the line with other people and the word spreads. So regardless of how they investigate this, if the investigation says, hey, we found nothing here. We found, like, somebody just must have found out that he was injured. It's like the integrity of the sport is in question here because this kind of thing can happen in perpetuity. Like, nothing's going to stop this kind of thing from happening other than the fighters having a backup plan or some sort of insurance plan where should they get injured, they end up getting some, some sort of money. And whether that's yeah. finding an insurance plan for the fighters so that in these circumstances, they're not left out of work. And the problem with that is because they're considered independent contractors. I don't think that they can provide insurance outside of like health insurance for these guys, right? Like, it's a big problem because you're going to have fighters like Derek Minner that make whatever 40 and 40 that need money mm-hmm. to keep their family going and put food on the table. Like, they're going to enter a fight injured. And you saw how he lost that fight. He wasn't knocked out or anything, got hurt, turtled down, basically. Look for a way out because, like, look for the path of the easiest way to get out of there without getting hurt, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He yeah, covered his head. Yeah, forty and forty would still be good if he's even making that much, unless you looked it up because that's even great for these fighters. So, I just think there's so many issues. I don't like that a lot of blame is on James Krause just because he's the coach. He has a betting podcast. I don't think it's fair to that a lot of the media are kind of directing attention towards him. I get why. I mean, it's just uh, guilty by almost association being a coach and being into gambling. But I, I, I do like the, the more I think about it, I do like the idea of, you know, the fighters not gambling because it's starting to make the sport look a little dirty. There's always this questionable things but i think we brought it up last time look at insider trading look at the government look at there's this happens in every aspect of the world i just think uh we got to find a way i mean you could still tell a friend to bed i mean it just it's it's something i don't think you can stop in sports the bigger the sports get it's because gambling gets bigger at the end of the day that's why probably nfl is the most watched sport based on maybe gambling right yeah i mean fantasy football i think is a big part of it too but I mean, you mentioned a lot of people pointing at James Krause. I mean, the problem is, so let me, let me just take both sides here. One side is James Krause is running basically a tout service. Like he's saying, if you sign up and you pay me, you can come on my private Discord and I will give you fight tips and we can talk about the fights and blah, blah, blah. So it just so happens this is one of his fighters and he's doing this yeah. on the side very publicly. So yeah, yeah. you can understand why people are looking at James Krause and saying, like, this isn't the good luck, buddy. If you're selling picks yeah, yeah. and you have information and suddenly the line goes crazy, which we never see in these, mid, like, these mid-card fights. The, only, the last time I can remember seeing line movement that crazy was years ago when Tai Yun Bong fought Leo Kunz. And it turned out that fight was fixed. Like, it was, at least it was supposed to be fixed. The guy decided at the last minute not to throw the fight and ended up winning. So it was the opposite. But, like, there was actual, like, a guy went to prison for that. It's the last time I can remember the line moving that much in the hours leading up to a fight. So something is up here. Information got out. But on the flip side, James Krause is not a stupid man. Like James Krause has made a lot of money from real estate investments. He knows, obviously, that if a bet were to come out, like if, it were, if this were to get traced back to him, that's a felony. Like he's not going to put himself at risk that way. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when he has that public persona of, of selling picks. Like, that's why it's just kind of it's a bad look in that regard because it's like, hey, well, this guy's making money 
<laughs> selling picks, and suddenly his guy comes in, is bet the opposite size bet, and the guy's out in like 40 seconds with an injury. And it makes it look like Kraus is culpable there, and I get it. But at the same time, like Kraus is not a dummy. Like he's not going to be going out and like putting himself in that kind of a vulnerable position to like potentially get charged with a felony by giving this information to somebody. Yeah, but I mean, also, it's his guy. He's, I'm sure he wouldn't be posting picks go against my guy to lose in right. the first round. That's what I mean. So, right. He's not a dumb guy. So, and I'm sure he wouldn't even call yeah. somebody and tell them that. Like, the the coaches want to keep this as close to the vest as possible to give their guy the best chance to win. So, yeah. And he actually went on his Discord afterwards and was like, yeah, Derek was hurt going into the fight. He needed the money. So he, like, he was forthright about what happened afterwards. Yeah. So what probably I'm, happened is someone in the gym knew. Yeah, I mean, is that wrong though? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, technically, what, did, what would is. have gone wrong then? Like, I mean, your training partner knows that something's wrong. Like, I don't know. Like, how do you stop that? Like, I mean, where like, does it stop? Yeah, how does I mean. it like, stop? It, you know, you can't. You can't unless you're gonna get insurance for these fighters or pay them when they have to withdraw from fights with injuries. Like, pay them whatever twenty five percent of what their show money is, just so that you don't put out a product that looks like this. Like, it's risky for the UFC to have these fights. Two, like two out of the last, no, I guess it's the last two in a row. Then there was one in between. So two of the last three fight cards, you've got a badly compromised fighter coming in. One is a title shot, so that looks like terrible when people are watching it. And then the other one, there's a massive betting line movement. Like the integrity of the sport is in jeopardy here if we're going to keep seeing situations like this. Yeah. So you're you're basically bringing it back to the fighter being injured and still needing to get the pay, right? Right. Well, I mean, with in TJ more than it being a gambling issue, right? In TJ's case, I think he's kind of a bit of a psychopath in terms of like how competitive he is. Like, I think I think in oh, TJ yeah. Dillashaw's heart of hearts, he came into that fight being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna win. I, like, I can beat this guy even on my, on my worst night." I walked through Sandhagen with a blown out knee. Like, I I can, like I I honestly believe that Dillashaw thing is basically like his team, like saying. Like, you probably shouldn't take this fight. Your arm's going to, your shoulder's going to pop out. And he's like, nah, whatever. It's, it's, it's Sterling, I can beat this guy. Like, that's what I think it comes down to. But when there's actual line movement like this, that's when people yeah. start to raise eyebrows and it's, like, clear that something happened here that was fishy. Yeah. Now, do do they, I, I'm, I don't know if you know the process, do they go back and see where the bet came oh, yeah. from? Which yeah. multiple bets? There's like, an, they'll trace it back. Mm-hmm. And... Yep, there's in- okay. integrity, um, like, betting integrity organizations that are able to go and see the names and like because you have to give your like driver's license to bet on these things with sports books right like they have, they don't just let some guy sign up and it's like yeah i'll bet three thousand put money in and bet three thousand dollars like they, they know who you are you have to provide like valid id so so they trace it back to which app was it bet 365 versus my basically bookie, so they can trace it everywhere they'll basically anywhere. contact the books Probably the U.S.-based ones only. I don't think they can deal with or offshore. Maybe they do. I don't hmm. know. But they could contact those books and be like, please provide the names of every single person that bet on Nurden Becca or the under <laughs> or um, the first round KO. Like, we need to know the names of all these people. And then they can do an investigation and find out if there's, like, maybe go on their Facebook pages and if they have mutual friends that, like, that are at Glory Kickboxing. Like, these people will find you if you, if you messed around. So hmm. that's like why it's a pretty serious deal, but th- that's also why the sport's integrity is really important. Like it's important that this kind of thing doesn't happen because it makes the sport look bush league. Yeah, I mean, you also think about it as a to myself as a martial artist. You hope people think as a martial artist that like that's where I kind of see Dillashaw is a little bit more of the martial arts side. The you know he'll do anything for the sport, do or die. Like I see that. He would never do those kind of things because of uh, his martial arts spirit. That's what I'll call it. But, I mean, yeah, it's there. People need money. If you're not a – I don't know. I just don't think there's an answer to it. I just think we keep going back in circuit. It could be a physio doctor checking the arm out, knowing this happens, telling somebody. I just think it's impossible to find the source. But I think, like you keep saying, it's coming back to fighters being injured and still having a fight. And I think it's also about, like, if you're the commission – and you ask them to disclose injuries on the medicals, and they don't disclose an injury, and you find that they were injured, you find them. Like, yeah, I hate, I I hate like to pick on too. the fighters again. Like, I, I don't think the fighters need to lose more money out of this deal, but, like, there needs to be some sort of consequence. Because if he were to say, like, yeah, I tore my ACL last week on a medical form, I'm not going to let a fight. So, yeah. 
I don't know. But I mean, if you want to, that that's up to you. You're going in compromise and you're losing. It is up to you. So like, but at the same time, it's just because the com- but gambling is separate from commission, right? The the commission's not thinking, well, you're going to ruin the gambling lines. No, it's but more, the commission. If you want to come in with a broken arm, you come in with a broken. But the commission arm. looks you lose, at, that's at a either, form right? that you signed with your signature that says all of this information is true, and if you're not disclosing an in- uh, an injury, you have lied on a contract. <laughs> like, yeah, true. Yeah, I so, see I it. Mean, yeah, so that, that's my my take on it. Is like there's a they've got to start putting some more safeguards in place, not just for for the commission, but for the, everybody, for the commission, the promotion, the fighters. And I mean, hey, like we you talked about off the top, the promotion is now saying you can't bet on sports if you're or bet on the UFC or MMA if you're a fighter that's whatever under contract or a trainer or training partners. Like you're not supposed to be doing that, and that's to protect the integrity of the UFC. And then it just so happens in like the three weeks after <laughs> that all came out. We're seeing the Dillashaw thing. Thankfully, no line movement there, so it's not like that got out before and like people slammed Sterling. But in this situation, it's clear that something got out, some information that got people to bet on the Nerd and Becca side, and you know it was clear that it was because Derek Minner was injured. He was injured in the first like 20 seconds of the fight. Well, we'll see what the UFC goes from here. It'll be interesting to kind of see the direction they go. I'd like to ask Dana White about it if I talk to him this week when I go to New York. Um, speaking of which, of course, New York, UFC 281. Yeah. Is, uh, is right in front of us, uh, Joe. And uh, we've got that main event, like we talked about off the top. Israel Adesanya is about a minus 200 favorite against Alex Pajera. Um I mean, is this like a total dogger pass situation here? Like, you kind of have to bet Pereira as like a plus 160 underdog. Yeah. Or if anything, if I'm taking a bet on this, I don't know. Would you take Adesanya by a decision at that point? If you're going to kind of... Because I, I can't see – I don't think anyone's going to get finished in this fight. I, I'm that person who's going to call it more of a slower, more technical-paced fight. I don't want to call it boring because I don't think these guys can be boring based on the risk factor of each. Would I like one of them to step in there and bang it out and just scrap? Yes, I would obviously enjoy that. But I think they're both elite strikers for a reason. So they're going to be cautious. Adesanya, you just got knocked out. You're not going to go step in there and kind of go in there and take big risks. So I think we'll see a patient Adesanya and a Pereira probably. They're both looking to counter. So I think it'll be a slower fight. But one mistake could mean a lot in this fight. I'm on the flip side, Joe. I like Pereira by decision at plus 600 like the, okay. the line on israel by decision is minus 125 the odds on fight going to a decision are minus 150 so if it's going to go to a decision and you've got the guy that has a lot more power in my opinion in Pereira, because if he gets a knockdown in any of these rounds or hurts he can get a 10-8 round right like if that's going to go to the scorecards and it's a technical fight like you said a chess match are you convinced that israel is going to for sure get the decision if this goes to the judges no, I can't say it. I mean, it's it's tough. But I'm saying on paper, you would think Adesanya by decision. But I don't know. I think Pereira is a lot slicker than most people think. I think he'll be using his kicks maybe a little bit to chop the legs a little bit more of Adesanya. And I don't think Adesanya has been kicked that much in MMA. So I think that's where Pereira could make the difference is in the low kicks. But they're both counterfighters, and that's the thing. So, I mean, they're both almost going to be waiting for the other to commit. And if there's no committing, there might not be those big counter shots that we're all hoping for. Have you seen anybody in your experience that throws that left hook off the front foot as powerfully as Pereira? Like, it just seems like a weapon that nobody else has, uh, especially in MMA. I just think it's his timing with it, too. You don't see it. It's so fast. It's the, it's thrown as a counter. So just as you think you're safe, it just touches you. And to me, like, they don't look powerful. They don't look like he winds them up. And that's why it's legitimately called the touch of death because it, he doesn't make, like, you see most people when they throw with power, they make these facial expressions. They throw everything. He just kind of throws it so smooth, so naturally so effortlessly but the reaction when guys get hit it's insane the way they they they're literally going up lord dead i was talking to the lfa commentator ron cruck who i did work with he's like i've never seen he, i think that guy that he fought in his lfa he was out for at least five minutes like five minutes from that like it was just insane like never seen anything like it it did it he just kind of boop, naturally kind of walked back and just threw it and that's why it's just so scary to be touched by because it's not being thrown with full power even and even in the israel knockout when he beat israel in the second kickboxing bout like basically it was israel was kind of dodging the power right and then like on the way 
I guess, you know, as he was moving his head, he got yeah. caught with that left. And it was like, it was just yeah. quick. Like, it's quick, yeah. and he's on the floor and done. Yeah. Like, out. Like, face out. out. Like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane. Like, Pereira like, knew the fight was over. And it's kickboxing, oh, yeah. right? Mean, so, you get a count. Yeah, it's it was wild. Like, I've, I've seen it in, in glory fights where, like, why did, like... He's not even trying. Like, there's no way he's going to get a knockout. Then literally last second of the round, boom, like he hits. It was uh, Urtaru by Rock and just out, like instantly like a tree falling, stiff down. I was like, it's unbelievable. Like, he just has that crazy. I don't know who's who ha, Who else I can say has that type of power. Like, I can't think of anybody in the world who can touch you like that and put you out so effortlessly. Well, he's huge also in person, as I'm sure you know from being around him. Like, he's a big dude. Uh, his hands. His shake hands his, when massive. you shake his hands. Yeah, when you shake his hands, yeah, look I've how big his hands are. I've shaken the yeah, man's hands. Insane. And the guy is like, yeah. because I've, I've covered, I guess, two of his three fights. I've been at them. Um, so I've interviewed him a couple times already. But, he, I mean, his just his bone density, is it's like baseball bats. Like, it's it's wild. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, Israel's a great fighter. And I think Israel has, of course, what it takes to beat him. But, like, this is a close fight. Like, this is going to be an interesting one. I'm, I'm really eager to see how it plays out. And, and you got to think, there's probably the lines the closest it's been for Adesanya in a while, no? Well, let's go take a look-see. Um, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm trying to think of who would have had a close line. I mean, I'm guessing the Whitaker, the first Whitaker fight probably would have. I think he might have been an underdog in that one. But uh, let's take a look. So right now he's a minus 196 favorite. So against Cannoneer, he's minus, close, minus 500. Second Whitaker fight, minus 275. Um, Vittori, minus 220. He was a minus 225 favorite. He was a bigger favorite over Jan Blahovic. Um So the last time mm. was, was Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa, he was like a minus 190 favorite. Really? I would have thought that would have been way more of a favorite for Adesanya in that fight. It looked like it should have been. <laughs> it should have been, yeah. But, man, this fight, I mean, you got to – I think the storyline just worked out perfectly, the timing, the, the story. And what's interesting to me, it's like Adesanya, I know he doesn't say that it's personal, but I think – I mean, I've heard him say it's not, and I've heard him say it is personal. I, I know as a fighter – it's always in your head. It's always in your head. Like, I will forever in my life think of Nikki Oldskin. I don't care what time of the year, what time of the day. And two decades from now, I'll always want to get revenge on Nikki Oldskin. That's just forever. So, I mean, that's definitely sitting in. He's, he's a martial artist. He lives by the sword. He's, he's given his life to martial arts. He breathes like a martial artist. He wants this back. And in his head, he knows how careful he has to be. I don't know where you're at right now, Joe, but I feel like you could beat like the current version of Nikki Holskin. He's had a rough goal lately, it seems. Oh yeah, yeah, I would have beat the old version too. I just needed a fresh, no tournament fight. I would have beat him. I'm not saying otherwise. I'm just saying, you know, right now yeah. it seems like Nikki's best days might be behind him. Oh yeah, I agree. I think after me, he was done. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's his record been since then? Right? It's not like he's done a whole. He's lost to Doom Bay, I think, two times. Rayhan Ursel two times. He just lost to this other, I think, Thai style fighter recently. He's on a good losing streak. And you haven't lost once since that fight. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Undefeated. Undefeated. One and zero. There you go. Well, so that's yeah. the uh, that's the main event. Um, what should we look for? Is there anything that we should be looking for in that fight? Like, are there any setups that you think? One of the two of like okay, so let's put it this way: the fight's over. Israel has won the fight. How did he do it? Pereira's won the fight. How does he do it? Well, I'm gonna say with Adesanya, one of the biggest keys for him, which he does very well, is his use of feints. He needs to feint a lot because he needs Pereira to throw. So you're gonna see Adesanya with a lot of stance switching, a lot of feinting on the outside. Um, not really committing on his punches. He'll throw jabs, one, two, some front kicks, not to overcommit. But then what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to counter um, Alex when he kind of throws those big shots. So I think that's an important uh, key for Adesanya. For Pereira, I think he has to press forward. I think the key is of him kind of pressing forward, still trying to get Israel fighting off the back foot. When Israel does counter... Pereira needs to counter back, which I call counter the counter. And I think that's going to be the biggest key for them. So Adesanya fainting and trying to bait Pereira into off the counter. But I think Pereira needs to counter that Adesanya counter. So that's the deep, deep technical side of the fight for me. And I think Pereira is going to have to use his kicks, low kicks a lot. 
and I think Pereira is just going to have to be kind of capitalizing on the way Pereira keeps his hands low. All right, so if if number one is super boring chess match, very technical, not a lot of output, and 10 is like total barn burner, incredible fight, where do you think this one ends up falling in, in more often than not? Five or six. Okay. Yeah, so it'll be right should... down the middle. Okay. So right down the middle. The first three rounds will be very slow. Yes, they'll be the first round expect to be very slow, I feel. Second round slow. I think by the third round is when you'll start seeing a little bit more. And I think with Pereira, if he needs to, he will go forward. So I think if he feels he's losing more, three, four, five is when you'll probably see Pereira kind of have to pick up, if anything. But can he touch Adesanya? There's no corners now. Adesanya's movement, his fainting. Can he close that distance is going to be a good uh, question. And I, is there going to be grappling and wrestling? Maybe I think Adesanya might tie him up a bit. I think that's an important strategy. If Adesanya is going to sit in the pocket after he throws, he needs to clinch up the arms a little bit and tie up that left hook. I don't think that we're going to see a lot of like any takedowns or groundwork in this fight personally, but... I mean, we'll see. The thing is, I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, just take Alex Pereira down and beat him up. It's like, mm. you know, he's training with Glover just... every day. And the guy's like <laughs> training with Wellington Termon every day. Like, yeah. I think this guy's not accustomed to people trying to, like, take him down and make his life miserable down there. That's probably, like, all he does in <laughs> practice is, like, you try to take me down and I'll try to stop your takedowns. And it's like Glover yeah. trying to take you down. And just his blood. He's got Brazilian blood. I feel like you're naturally born doing jiu-jitsu. So that Brazilian blood. But I think, honestly, I, I bet you if they did a grappling match, it'd probably be very similar. Their whole MMA career is going to be about taking, you know, standing back up from the ground. None of them are going to be starting to throw up triangles and arm bars. And, you know, you get your feet on the hips, push off and stand yourself up. So they're probably very similar when it comes to grappling anyways. Co-main event. Zhang Weili, minus 400. Carla Esparza, plus 285. Do you see any sort of path for Carla Esparza here? Because I'm having a lot of trouble finding one. Yeah, I can't. I can't see one. I can't see one. I mean, I think her ability to grapple, right? Obviously, is her only chance to wrestle. But we know Wei Li's stronger, probably uh, more physical, hits harder. So Carla coming in against a Wei Li whipping punches at you is scary to begin with. But I just think Wei Li, she's training now with Cejudo, the team, putting that grind in the wrestling, her body shaped to grapple. I mean, I, I think it's her fight. I really do. And I think, uh, I just think Wei Li will have as far as his number. I just feel like that's the, it's like a perfect fight for her. You know, I went and looked today because I figured that the like round total would be like two and a half, three and a half. Under four and a half is even money. That was surprising to me. Because I think that, yeah. like, if Zhang wins this fight, I think she's going to win it early. Like, I think that she could win in rounds one or two. Yeah, I think so. I think she can catch her with that early power. That's easy to say. I mean, it would just say, for Carla, it's probably what would be the strategy, trying to wear it out into the later rounds, try to shut that power down a little bit. Because that what... Whaley power is scary. I think her strategy should be wrestle and control. Like, I mean, that's honestly, I think her best path is, like, do whatever you can to get her to the ground and keep her there and, and use ground and pound and make sure that you don't get stood up. Like, I honestly yeah. think that's like Carla's best path to getting a win here and it might be her only path. Cause I don't think she's going to get a finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also think that like, for as long as that fights on the feet, she's in trouble. Yeah. Even if it's against the cage, I just think wearing out Wei Lee a little bit, just trying to be heavy on the arms, hang on her, make her transition from clinching, grappling to striking, I mean, Wei Li's power, I mean, we've seen it. It's just, it's one of the best in the weight division, easily. And I hear all these people, like, I heard Dean Thomas, I think he was on with Luke, with Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell, and they were talking about this. And he was like, yeah, was, Zhang's going to, like, destroy her. Like, the way, the words he was using, and this is a guy who, like, does commentary with the UFC and does desk, like, he was talking, yeah, like, yeah. this is going to be a complete blowout. And I was like, oh, you know, and I, like, he sees the fight came better than I'm sure I do. <laughs> and, like, yeah. he was emphatically saying it was going to be, like, a blowout, basically. Yeah, a lot of people are saying it's almost like a, a stylistic matchup style where, like, Wei Li probably has Carla's number based on style, where Rose has Wei Li's number. It's kind of like a, a transitioning of the belt, but um, I don't know. I, I, I well, Carla, to me, always surprises me. Like, I mean, 
you you might think uh, every time she's fought, I'm like, no, there's no chance. But then she finds a way to win. There's a reason why she wasn't she the first strawweight champion ever. Yep, you know, to, to kind of yeah, lose it, to come back, and so she's doing something right. She's winning fights. She's winning the big fights. She's doing what she has to do. I just don't think uh, with Carla and her wrestling, you can ever fully count her out. So I got to give her a little bit of credit going into this one for sure. Uh, Dan Hooker is facing Claudio Pueyes. Hooker's a minus 174 favorite. Pueyes plus 136. This is one of those fights where we kind of see what's happening here. You got Dan Hooker on a big losing skid against a guy who I believe is still undefeated in the UFC, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double check what Pueyes' record is. I don't think he's lost the UFC fight. Yeah, he's undefeated. In the, oh, sorry. He lost, he lost in the finale of Tough Latin America 3, uh, but has not lost since. He's won five in a row. So, and then you look at Dan Hooker. And Dan Hooker, I believe, has what lost three straight. Yeah, Hooker oh, he's has lost, he's been lost four on a great five. He's lost four of his last five. Yeah, I don't know enough about uh, Pouliez to give a full examination, but I know Dan Hooker needs something. He needs to kind of put a win out because you got to think he was sitting at the top of the division, and now it's kind of like, what's Dan Hooker doing? Yeah. Yeah, but you also have to look at who he's lost to. He lost to Dustin Poirier. It was a five-round fight. Like, he went to a decision. Got knocked out by Michael Chandler. Beats Nazrat Hakparast by unanimous decision. Nazrat's a good fighter. Then yeah. Submission loss to Islam Makhachev. I mean, like, on short notice. Fair. Can you, like, you know? And then TKO lost to Arnold Allen, who's on a 10-fight win streak, right? Like, it's not yeah. like he's losing... Fights he shouldn't be losing. Like he, should, I think he was probably an underdog, and I think he was a favorite over Chandler, but he probably should have been an underdog in all of those fights. Yeah, but I mean, it just shows that maybe he's not at that top contender level anymore, and he's just kind of finding a home as maybe that guy to beat to get into the top five. Yeah, and and I think that's fine. But is Poyas that guy? I mean, that's the thing. That's the big question for me. Is like because Claudio Poyas' best win is over Clay Guida. Like it's not like he's beating guys that are ranked. Yeah, no, it's a big step up. Especially with that rangy style that Hooker has. Hooker can catch you with a lot of unorthodox strikes. So, ain't easy. Yeah, and this is kind of a must-win for him, in my opinion. So, let's uh, let's see how that one goes. Uh, final fight of the career of Frankie Edgar. He's a plus-176 underdog. Chris Gutierrez, minus-230, according to our friends at FanDuel. Uh, you know what? It's weird, because if you look at Cheeto Vera and how good Cheeto Vera is now. Like, Cheeto Vera is in title contention. People are talking about him, oh, he should fight for a title soon. Edgar was beating him in that fight until he wasn't. Like, until he got knocked out. Yeah, Edgar yeah, was winning that yeah. fight a year ago. And he hasn't fought yeah. since. So is yeah. Chris Gutierrez that much better than the Frankie Edgar that was beating a guy that everybody's talking about should be fighting for the championship soon? Like, yeah. I might... A two-to-one favorite. Yeah. Yeah, Gutierrez is a minus 230 favorite. Like, I wouldn't go Frankie Edgar here. I mean, am I crazy? It's his last ever fight. and leave everything on the table. He was already looking good against Cheeto Vera. Got knocked out. That's always a problem. You still need to recover. He's taking a year to recover. Yeah, it's Frankie Edgar's the biggest dog in the UFC. I mean, you got—I I don't know anyone who's got the heart of Frankie Edgar. I heard a stat from John Anik. He has close to eight hours in the UFC. Eight hours of cage time. Eight hours. You know how long eight hours of cage time is? Like that's insane. Like one of your flights to, to the like, Netherlands. Yeah, seriously. You just have Frankie like, Edgar fighting time. in the aisle for the entire eight hours. Jeez, and you got to think maximum 25 minutes at some times. Like, that's eight, uh, close to eight hours. That's insanity to me. Like, I don't even, I can't even, I can't even imagine that. I think he's got the longest UFC time. But I think he's always going to be a dog. He's always going to be that guy who is going to to the end. He's going to, you're going to have to knock him out for him to stop. Otherwise, he's going to keep coming at you. I think it's a big fight for Gutierrez. I think it's a tough one, good stylistic, but... The dog of Frankie Edgar, his last fight. I almost hope Frankie wins, even though I like Gutierrez as well. But I just want to see Frankie get that nice goodbye he deserves from the sport. Total fight time, 7 hours and 55 minutes, the most of all time. And uh, who's second most, Joe, if you were to guess? Uh, second most with the time. Jim Miller, maybe? Jim Miller's seventh. I don't know. Seventh, okay. Uh, Jim Miller, no, who's in? Oh, they're Cerrone? Surprisingly, he's not even in the top 10. Oh, GSP. Not in the top 10. Clay Guida. Number eight. Jeez, who's above Clay Guida? Anderson Silva? Not in the top 10. It's short fights. Yeah, he had lots of knockouts. 
Would you have known these? Would you have picked it right off the bat? I probably would have guessed Max Holloway, who's number three. Okay, okay. Max, yeah. So you got to think title Who fights. would be? Yeah, I'm thinking guy who's been the a second title place reign. person is still active. Seven hours and 53 minutes and 29 seconds. Not Kamara Usman. I can't see that. No. No. Jeez. All right, I'm giving up. Rafael Dos Anjos. Surprising one. Really? He's, Surprised yeah. to me. Yeah. Surprising okay. One. So he was what? One? No. He's number two. He's number one. Edgar's number one. Two. Already okay. Who was number three? You said Max was... Holloway. Holloway. Okay. Damn. What? A... It's impressive. It's Max. I think Max is one of the most impressive for his age too. Yeah. Max has just a lot of five round decisions, like five round fights, right? Yeah. Dang. Yes. Max is what? 32? 33? Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's just been he's been in the UFC since he was nineteen. Okay. Like, yeah. Frank is like forty. I get yeah. it. You know, like. But Max, very impressive. Yeah, so uh, there, there you have it. There's, there's your stat of the day, and uh, of course, Dustin Poirier minus two thirty, Michael Chandler plus one seventy six. I think Poirier's got him beat here. Honestly, like, I, I'm not really. I mean, Michael Chandler can beat anybody. Michael Chandler's a great fighter. Um, yeah, good striker, good wrestler. Better wrestler, I'd say, than Dustin Poirier, but I don't think that this fight's gonna go to the ground all that much. Dustin Poirier's got pretty good defensive uh, takedown or t- uh, takedown defense, but if Chandler can get him to the ground, he can win this fight. I, I think on the feet, Chandler is still gonna be a little bit of a step behind Poirier, but can still win that fight. Yeah, I think Chandler has that explosive power and that pop where, like, all of a sudden, boom, he'll hit you out of nowhere. He's got that athleticism where Poirier's is going to just walk you down, shove that jab in your face. Like, he's got deceivingly long reach, good straight punches, a nice jab. So I think if Chandler gets it done, he's going to find, like, an explosive moment. But I think Poirier's too sharp for that. He'll keep pressuring you, smacking you down, defending the takedowns. I mean, I think if you're want to splash a little bit of money on Chandler finish, but I'm with you. I think Poirier gets it done. Chandler versus Gaethje went to a decision last uh, last year. Very, very unexpected decision. What do you think uh, happens in this one? Do you think more often than not, do you think this fight goes to a decision? Yes, I think Poirier decision. Let's see what the uh, odds are on that uh, fight. Going. What do you think? You think a finish is possible here? Oh, I think a finish is definitely possible with these two guys. You know what? They've got the total set at over under one and a half rounds. I'll take the over the over one and a half rounds only minus one thirty. That's that's the play. That's the play. That's your play. There you go. Yeah. I want to hear it on what what do you call it? The the the, the TSN Edge record. Your weekly. Play. And Poirier yeah, you, you, your weekly your weekly newsletter. Yeah, that'll be my newsletter. Yeah. It's called the Renew. What is review. called the review. The review. review. Yeah. The Bronstetter review. Yeah. Poirier by decision plus three thirty five. I like that. That's good value. Yeah, no, it's very good value. All right, we're, I'm, we're I'm picking our parlays. Yeah, I will yeah. definitely be uh, looking at that. I'm, I definitely like the under four and a half in the co-main uh, event as well. I like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any any prelims we want to talk about. I mean, we got a lot of these uh, city kickboxing guys um, yeah. on this card. Moicano Riddell. Yeah, Moicano Riddell. Moicano a small favorite over Riddell. That's just gonna be a great fight. Like I think that could go either way. Yeah. The other one I'm kind of mixed on is uh, Reyes versus Span. I think Span as a plus 185 is is a very good underdog to pick. I'm with his you. wild, scrappy Reyes chin. Who knows? Like I don't know. I think Ryan Span could be a nice play. Well, here's the thing. Reyes has taken a lot of time off since his loss to Yuri, um, and has really gone from camp to camp and really just tried to learn as much as he can and soak in as much knowledge as he can. Which I think is the right move for him at this, this stage in his career. He was like this close from the title. Uh, you know, judges gave the fight to John Jones, but very close fight. Then he lost to Yuri, and he's like, okay, well, like, listen, I'm, I was that close to the title. Let's not, like, keep taking fights for the sake of taking fights. Let's learn, take a step back. I think that's the right approach. Um, and I think that this is a good opponent for him to bounce back. But like you said, Span is tricky and has a lot of different uh, weapons. Looked really good in his last fight as well. Yeah, with Dominic Reyes, has been training with Pereira and Glover, so you know he's in good hands. And with and which was even cooler, like, but was even cooler, like uh, Pereira brought in Yusri Belgarwi, who ended up, who Pereira knocked out twice in glory and also fought Adesanya twice. So, I mean, to have Pereira, um, Belgarwi, Glover, his stand-ups probably improved dramatically. So I'm sure he's prepared for that wild, wiry span. But, uh, yeah, who knows? I like span. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I like him 
uh, a lot uh, as a fighter. I just think he's got a lot of weapons. And the thing about Span is, like, when he's locked in and he's dialed in for a fight, he can beat just about anybody. But it's those times where he shows up looking flat where you're like, ugh, this might not yeah, go well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron Blanchfield is a minus 440 favorite over Molly McCann. It's plus 310. This yeah, is Molly's one. got so much hype. Yeah, Molly's got a lot, lot of hype, hype, but it doesn't seem like to be translating to the betting lines because Blanchfield is kind of the flavor of the week. Young, up-and-coming prospect, really good uh, grappling. But I think that if this fight stays on the feet, Molly could finish her. Like <laughs> Molly's striking has yeah. gotten really good, and her power is starting to really show up. And Blanchfield's really young, I heard, right? A grappler. She's like 21, 22, yeah. Very yeah, good, though. Big, very big talented. step up. Yeah. So maybe what you do in that fight is you just bet the, the what's like Blanchfield by submission. I don't think there's a line yet, but it looks like off. You know, if if you're looking around, it's like plus two forty, and McCann by TKO KO is plus six fifty. Like you just bet on both of those. I mean, yeah, I don't know, a little on each doesn't necessarily mean Blanchfield's for sure going to get a submission, but you you know at least buy some insurance. Yeah, I think she. I heard she was winning the Eddie Bravo Invitationals and stuff really like good. that. Really good. Okay. So, um, like look. good as in Mackenzie Dern, good, you think? No, or no. potential I mean, to be, Dern not that level? She's been in diapers, like winning like absolute yes. championships yeah. in BJJ, right? Like, yeah. I don't think there's any. I just want to see the level. I need to know the levels, yeah. right? We need to, because there's, you talk about good MMA strikers and we talk about Adesanya Pereira, right? We need to know the levels here. Yeah. I think that she's like, in, her, in terms of her division, she's like up there. I mean, if you're looking at, I guess may, she might be the best submission. You know what? I'm not going to say that because I don't have the whole roster in front of me. But she's definitely among the top three in terms of submission skills in the flyweight division at, at her young age. All right. I'll be watching. Yeah, we'll see. This is a big – I think this is more of a litmus test for Blanchfield than it is for Molly McCann, to be honest. Yeah, Molly's been on a little streak. She's gotten those finishes, that excitement. I think she just needs to make sure she kind of – doesn't get too excited with those knockouts, and hopefully, I'm sure she's stuck to her grappling. You know, if I was advising Molly, I'd say keep taking fights that you can win. Like, yeah, she, of she's course. building up her her brand so much with like all of her her partnerships. It's like, I mean, listen, this could be her last push for a championship. Like, if she can beat Aaron Blanchfield, you can make a case that she could fight for a championship like next year. But I I, I think she's been one of the women who's been getting the most attention for sure. For sure. So why, I, like, I think you take fights that where you're gonna get knockouts, right? Like, get highlight reel knockouts and monetize it. But I mean, mm-hmm. listen, the goal is the championship. I don't want to sway her otherwise. But I mean, just saying, like, that might be a better path. But I'm not trying to diminish her because she could win this fight. Like, she's got good knockout power that started to really come out in her recent fights. Yeah, I I think for her, just the way she's been building is great. She's got bar stool sports behind her now. She had Drake getting her Rolex watches and stuff. Her kind of really being close with Patty as he builds his name into huge levels. They're doing the right thing over there. Whatever they're doing, it's working. We haven't had so much uh, attention of a non-female champion come out in a long time. So I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Andre Petrovsky is minus 225. Wellington Termon. Plus 172. This is, I think, a big overcorrection of the steering wheel for Petrovsky. Like, Petrovsky was like a plus 350 underdog against Nick Maximov and ended up getting a first-round submission. Was amazing. Looks great. But Wellington German's really good. And, I mean, trains with Glover and all those guys as well. Yeah. Nice win over Misha Serkinov in his last fight. Like, I think this is kind of a dog or pass situation, personally. Yeah. I believe Petrovsky's uh, James Krause guy, if I'm correct, right? No, he actually trains with those guys out in Philly, unless he's moved over to Florida. Okay. He trains with like all those really good fighters, like um, uh, what's the name of that dude who just won a contender series in the first episode? Joe. Uh, he he trains with Sean Brady. Those guys. Okay. Yeah. Right. So he's uh, Joe Pfeiffer. That's who I was thinking of. So he's training with all those guys in Philly who are doing pretty well. I mean, I know Brady lost his last fight, but I mean, they're that team looks like they're doing really well. Jeremiah Wells, guys like that. It's where Paul Felder trained from time to time good team over there in philly um so we got a long night of fights coming up yeah. saturday i mean there's like five Freeland more fights i don't even know where i want to discuss them i was <laughs> i was gonna talk, ask you if you've been if you've played oculus i've been playing this thrill of the fight getting crazy exercise every day no i've actually never tried the oculus i've always wanted to try it i you brought it up before to see how you you're questioning how good i would be at the game i would love to have you just come over and like i want to watch you do the thrill of the, or i can bring it to your gym and just have you do like, like all right box them down yeah, is it is it? Do you do well in it? Like, what level would you say you are? So, 
I got I got it I guess last week, and I've been doing it. I do a match in the morning and a match at night because like I I'm like sweating profusely by the time this thing is done. Really? You, okay. You can watch videos. There's dudes who are like exercise dudes, like fitness guys, playing this game, and they're like they're like out of breath and sweating at the end. Like it's it's a <laughs> it's a crazy workout in my opinion for for a guy like me. Um, so. Yeah, I, I started off. I played normal mode, and I got I beat everybody in normal mode, and no problem. Like I got through to the beat the like all the guys, and then I got into okay. endurance mode, and then I started getting whooped. Like then then I started to feel the nerves when I'm like, okay, I got to go do four rounds with this guy, and like you know what I'm really I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's pretty. But realistic. is it like the Nintendo Wii? Like where because the Nintendo Wii you would do like these little quick, cheap little movements, and the punches would go fast. You have to actually punch like an uppercut, a hook. Is it yeah, actually yeah. technical? Yeah. You can watch okay. videos of Wonder yeah, Boy. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll look it up. Yeah. I'll look it up. Maybe I'll bring it to the gym. Does it have other good games? Is it? Is it worth getting? Is it something I should be invested in? Or I mean, you're what working out all day here? at your gym. I mean, like, you have you have live bodies in front of you. I don't. I don't live know, punches. Sure yeah. Yet, but it's like it, it's a pretty intense workout for at least for a guy like me. And I've been like shedding weight, and I think I'm gonna look good in a couple months, Joe. We're gonna keep doing this. There you go. Keep it, keep it as part of my routine. Well, I was gonna say you look good now. What do you oh, have to do now? You're looking good. You look you look trimmer to me. I gotta go from dad bod to rad bod, Joe. Dad to rad. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So you excited for New York? Is it just uh, you flying, packed? What do you do? Flying you just, out tonight. When do you leave? Oh, tonight. Yeah, flying out tonight. Ah. And, uh, okay, excited. Leaving to the airport in three hours. Ooh. Then, uh, pushing it. I like it. Yeah. Then I then I'll go. Um, the press conference is tomorrow. I'm doing all my interviews tomorrow for the most part. And then, uh, yeah, I love New York. I love going and covering events at, uh, at MSG. It's uh, always a fun experience. The weather's going to be nice this time around. Usually, like, sometimes it's snowing there. Sometimes it's, like, just raining and really cold. But it looks like the weather's going to be uh, on uh, on the sides of those going to MSG. It's been, like, 24, 25 degrees Celsius I know. in New York yeah. the last week. Yeah, well, I was there in New Jersey. It was 22 degrees yeah. on, on Saturday. I couldn't believe it. Anybody we should keep our eye on from Glory Rivals uh, that you called uh, over the weekend? Um, Jay Overmere is one of the kids we've been watching. Very good, young welterweight now, three and zero with two finishes. Um, Ibrahim El Bouni has been our rival star lately, so he's been another good knockout. There was a young kid in the, the first fight of it, which was really good. Um, Damir Kapu, the Turkish guy, was telling you, twenty-two years old with one hundred and forty-four fights. He did bazooka style back leg low kick finish. That was fun. But then, yeah, I get to go to Germany on the uh, for the 19th. That's a fun one for me. This is actually uh, a nerve-wracking show for me because uh, not many people know I'm breaking news right now. But uh, I'll be sitting in the play-by-play chair for Glory 82, oh, which wow. is uh, scary for me because uh, Todd be. Grisham can't make it. <laughs> so I'm a little intimidated to be on play-by-play. And uh, I'll have a, a new broadcast taking my partner, taking my spot, which you was – uh, me I would have done play-by-play for it. There you go. A lot of people have been asking. I saw Robin Black recently uh, at Karate Combat. There's a bunch of people want that spot, but I think they're throwing me in and they're going to put in another glory uh, fighter, which uh, I think the person who they picked is going to be fun and will be great. Okay. Well, you're not going to break that news. That's that's on an under embargo. I can. Uh, that's fine. It's uh, it'll be myself and Tiffany Van Seuss. Oh, that's cool. That that'll be a nice pairing. Yeah. So former champ with a current champ, kind of calling fights. I'm not going to be Mauro Ronaldo. I'm not going to be Todd Grisham. I'm not going to be giving those one-liners. Maybe I should. Maybe I could be should. pretty good at it. You know, I need those good night, Irene's. Good night in Amsterdam. I need something. Hey, do you but, have uh, do you have uh, Sean O'Connell's phone number? Do you know Sean? Do you have a connection to Sean O'Connell? No idea who Sean O'Connell is. Well, Sean O'Connell. Maybe was, if you tell me, he was a UFC fighter. He okay. was in like he was in a great fight with Steve Bosse. Do you remember Steve Bosse was in like a war? Yeah, UFC? yeah. Who used to do his side splits at the end? I yeah, think yeah. of his fight. So Steve Bosse. And he Sean passed O'Connell. away. The rest in peace. No, he passed alive. away. Steve Bosse, okay, I, think I don't. Alive. I think you're thinking of okay. uh, what's his name, dude from uh, um, the guy who did the robot. He used to do side splits. The robot. No, no that's yeah, Ryan Jimmo. You're, you're getting confused with Ryan Jimmo. Oh, Steve okay, Bosse is a former uh, okay. hockey player, and um, okay. got into like this war with Sean O'Connell. So then Sean O'Connell. Um, went to the PFL and won the tournament, won a million dollars, the light heavyweight tournament. Oh, and geez. he does play-by-play for them now. So even though he's like a former fighter, he's been their play-by-play so he's doing play-by-play. for a long time. He's really good. 
Like, oh, really, really good. I got to listen to him then. Yeah, because yeah. most fighters never do play-by-play. -play. Well, that's what I'm saying. You should see if you can connect with him before your next event and get some advice from him because he's, like, he's just a really, like, really good play-by-play -play guy, like a real natural. And I think you could probably... Jeez, I got to look him up. Yeah, I'll look him up. Yeah. He, uh, he might follow you somewhere cool. or, or other. But, yeah, real OC sports on social media. You should... Uh, I, I don't have his number, but... Uh, I'm sure that uh, there's somebody there that uh, could probably get you connected. You know, like, if you know Randy Couture or one of the other guys that do the broadcast with him, I'm sure they could put you in touch. All right. Maybe. Uh, who else is there? Kenny Florian's there, too, right? Yeah, Kenny. I could actually get his number from Kenny for you if, you're, if you would like to speak with him. Yeah. We'll see. I'll look it up. I'll see how good he is or not. I might have a different... Uh, I got to see how good he is before I get advice from him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's good. I think Sean... I might not like him. Okay. Well... You know your stuff. Yeah. You've been listening to fights, so I actually am I'll jealous of him because, like, for him to have been a fighter and be that good at play-by-play, -play, it's like it's it's extremely rare. Usually, you see people yeah, do the, the color commentary from being like a, a, the athlete. So that's why I'm yeah. giving you. I've never name. seen anyone. That's why I think it's incredible. I don't think I've seen any fighter do play-by-play. -play. Yeah, well, Sean O'Connell's your guy. Then you should check him. All out. right, he's the first. I'll be the second then. All right. I'll be the first in kickboxing. He'll be—he's done it in MMA. It doesn't count. We'll be our first in opposite sports. Yeah, well, that'll be a, that'll be a lot of fun in in Germany. So who's on the, who's headlining that card? Is that the uh, that'll one? be uh, yeah Antonio Plazabat oh. against Raul Katina. That's that. gonna be brawl. Plazabat, yeah. I love that guy. Oh yeah, he's just got this. Ah, you you think you're good? I don't care. <laughs> you sloppy. I punch you punch wide. I knock you out. Like it's just—he's so good. He's been so funny for us lately. He's just got this. Good personality that's coming out. Well, I don't know when you'll be our star. Hopefully, I don't know when you're heading to Germany, but uh, if you do have time to recap this event with me next week, I'd love to uh, catch up with you then. Yeah, we'll try. If anything, it have to be early, early in the week. But uh, hopefully, you're back from New York, and we'll see if we can make it happen. All right. So a little housekeeping. Typically, uh, as of late, I've been taking the interviews and putting them at the end of the show. We're not going to do that for this one. I want to get this one out. So um, for my interviews this week, tsn.ca/ufc. You can find them all there. I will try to compile them into an interview podcast um, at some point so that you can download that. Um, you can find all of my work at www.aaron.report. Uh, you can find Bazooka Joe at Bazooka Kickboxing. He is one of yep. only two members of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame. That's the first time I've, I've called you that because you were the lone member for some time. The lone, yeah. Now Second there's a huge now, giant Semi Shill. Yeah, at least he's after me. Semi Shill was after me. Yeah. I was first. So Semi Shill second. I, I should just say the first member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame instead of one of two. Yeah. First is yeah, the first and, and the most important. Well, we can add that into. Well, add I won't say that in front of important. Semi, but I can say that with you here, sure. Well, with all your Oculus training, you could slip those long punches and front kicks. It'll be good now. Yeah, I don't think I would stand. Even at Semi Shilton, his advanced age, I feel I could step on the so <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll agree with that you know, one with you. I don't know if I'd rather get hit by semi or by a semi. I think that uh, yeah. I'd probably suffer the same amount of, of damage. Um, the same trauma. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, um, enjoy the show. Enjoy UFC 281. And uh, hopefully we will catch up next week. And uh, everybody listening at home, thank you. And uh, we will see you in the future. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.